This is Faith and Fable, a pastoral podcast where we discuss common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. I'm Mark. I'm Matt Henry. I'm Matt Miller. And I'm Lena. What should we be doing right now? Or our listeners? Well, if you're a listener at this point and you haven't done it already, I think you know what you should do. But I'm going to tell you anyways, you should rate, review, what is it? Uh, and like subscribe. and share. I don't know like why we say share. like and share because liking things doesn't it doesn't do, it's like it's like facebook and it's not even instagram it's just like facebook yeah, comments man. we like comments though comments are good comments yeah. are good we like comment right yeah yes well, let us know your thoughts were you saying anything more about comments or they're just good i felt like you were going well i was sorry until i cut you off but then you decided no and then i just decided i stopped caring in the middle so <laughs> oh it's gonna be a fun night <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. So do all those all those things, and uh, you're done, right? You're great. All right. <laughs> all right. So they're done hitting fast forward. Um, so we're going to pick up on our point regarding systematic theology. We've been working through the doctrine of bibliology, yes. And we want to talk about the relationship of the Bible or bibliology with two other key doctrines: the doctrine of Christ, Christology and pneumatology, the doctrine of spirit. Um, very important because I think we've said this in the past that you you can look at your system, you can break down your various aspects of theology and you need to, it helps, but you can never keep them separate right. because they're intricately interwoven. And these are two that are huge. You can't talk about your bibliology without speaking of Christ nor the spirit. So, um, we, we just want to show how the Bible connects those two. Yeah. In fact, to have a bad bibliology or be errant in your bibliology or understanding of Scripture will make you liberal in your Christology. Every single time. Yeah. I, have, I, I don't think I can find a single person that I've watched over the years who began to become loose and whatnot with their understanding of the Bible, that it did not head to a bad place. Right. Uh, but that's a huge thing, so people should know that. Which out of that came the whole historical Jesus seminar and yeah. all that garbage. Yeah. Is that still a thing? Back in the 70s when I was I think young Bar- Bar- and Bar- stuff. Barry still trying to run with it. Oh, but, it's just sad. I mean, yeah. you know they would hold up cards, the whole Jesus seminar? Yeah, they would actually meet, and then they would discuss words of Jesus, and then the, they would vote by holding up cards. Red meant absolutely not, hmm. and like yellow was, we highly doubt it. And basically, the only thing that Jesus ever, they felt, said was the nice things. Um, <laughs> truth, which, truth by committee. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's, it's something that we want people to understand, that we're going to be very jealous to this doctrine of the of bibliology of what we talked about the last podcast on, on the inerrancy of the word, its authority and such that these are not things we can equivocate. Uh, is it equivocate? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pawn. It's just I'm not. Yeah, I can't. You can't. It's it affects how we preach. It affects. I mean, you and I having pastoral discussion here this just a few days ago, and and out of your mouth you just said I, I've got nothing else to give the person. I mean, I just, it's. 
the Bible, and and um, it's very very true. So yeah. we want to again, with that in mind, first talk about Christology and the Bible. Yeah, and I mean the only way you can truly and properly know God is through His Word, right? In a right understanding of the Word, and so as as you were saying, when you begin to play with that, and you play with the authority and the inerrancy and infallibility and the inspiration of scripture, you begin to play with a right understanding of the person of God and, of course, Christ, your, your Christology. Right. So, um, in light of that, let's talk about how this develops. All right. So, the retrospective authority, and that's a fancy way of saying when Christ looks looks at the Old Testament looking backward, um, he, he views them as prophetic writings. That's that's the point. That, yeah. um, and therefore authoritative. Right. And not only him, what's interesting is even the religious leaders of the time thought that. An example of that is in Matthew 2, 3 through 6. Lena, are you up for reading that? Yeah. And when Herod the king heard it, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he began to inquire of them where the Christ was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means le- least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Yeah, so it, it's a simple text, important one, that the chief priests, un, un, they understood what the scripture said, and so they understood where the Messiah was going to come from, and they appealed to the Old Testament seeing that as the very word of God. Um, And then um, Matthew chapter 5, this is during what's referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. Can you read that one? 17 through 19. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away from the law, until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments, and so teaches others, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, so here's him talking about the law and the prophets, or the Old Testament, which is, that's just another way of saying Old Testament. He's saying, I did not come to abolish it, but to fulfill, or to bring it right. bring it to its end purpose, tell us. Um, and so, clearly, he's regarding these Old Testament scriptures as, in some way, divine. Right, right. Um, and then... When he's done talking uh, during the Sermon on the Mount toward the end of chapter 7, um, you get the response of the mm-hmm. listeners. Um, and the result is, is when he had finished, the, the multitudes of the people there were amazed by his teaching. Um, and it says in verse 29, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. Yeah, I remember John MacArthur actually, I was heard of one of his sermons on that and just talking about how... Um, in that day, it's very similar to today. The the rabbis, they will never make an absolute statement as to what, what things are. They'll just talk and discuss and here's the various views and go on and on and on, but never land. That's actually similar to oftentimes what I see with liberal scholars. They're all trying to give each other kudos or whatever, um, and, but they'll never just speak it. But when Christ spoke, he was, he was not, he, would, he didn't care what the opinion of the rabbis. He, he was actually just simply declaring these things with absolute authority. Um, and then you can go on into Luke. I, I'll let you have that one because um, Luke is your book for the next 20 years as you preach. Well, <laughs> yeah. So, um, toward the end of the book, 
in in chapter 24 this is after his, this is his resurrection appearance and it says in tw- verse 25 through 27 and he said to them o foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all the prophet what the prophets have spoken was it not necessary for the christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory and beginning with moses and with all the prophets again just the old testament he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures and so he's just referencing the authoritative nature of the old testament yeah. Yeah, and how it spoke of him. Now, as an aside, I, I I look forward to the time we can actually deal with this in the podcast on its own. But this is one of those passages I think that gets ripped out of context by people who are saying that until you can find Christ in every passage of the Old Testament, you don't mm-hmm. know the sure. passage. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And and they'll reference this, and and they don't let the text say what it says because they try to make it say that uh, basically they would almost say it this way, he explained to them the things in that, or he, he explains that all the scriptures spoke of him or something like that, but that's not what it says. It's out of the totality of the Old Testament, he drew out of it all the ones that referred yeah. specifically to him. That's a very different yeah. meaning. Yeah, all those all those explicit messianic passages right. that are speaking of the coming right. Messiah. I, I would love to, by the way, heard that, heard mm-hmm. him just kind of work out the whole Old Testament and and how this place or this place. That would have been just a very uh, interesting time, but that's, that's separate. Uh, then we also have, you can look in John 5, uh, yeah, John 5, 45 to 47. He says, do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. For if you had believed Moses, you would, have, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So again, he puts his words right. on par with Moses, and he says, when he looks at the Old Testament scripture, they were authoritative, they were true, and they were the thing that were was prophesying and pointing to him. And so he's like, your problem is you just don't want to believe the word. Yeah. So that that's retrospective authority. That's right. looking back at the Old Testament. Then there's also a prospective authority that, that is speaking of the New Testament apostolic writings. Right. Right. So um, let's do John 14, 25 through 26. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit from the Father will send the, whom the, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I'll do it again. Yeah, that's out in the text there. <laughs> I was reading my theology into it, I guess. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring... Oh, shoot. My (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we should ask your husband. My phone just closed. I got this. Come on alongside your wife. I got this. (laughs) Babe, don't worry about it. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Ooh, you said that really well. Boy, Except well, you called your wife dude. Oh, I did, did I? Yes. <laughs> Let's play the tape back. <laughs> so okay. what in the world is my point with this verse? <laughs> it doesn't even matter. <laughs> no, so, so, yeah, so, so here is Jesus talking to his disciples, and he's giving the promise of the Holy Spirit or the helper that he's going to send, uh, obviously, when, after he ascends. And he says, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I 
said to you. Now, this is not some mystical passage that we should own for ourselves. He is speaking explicitly to the disciples who in due course would be writing scripture. So he's not talking about illumination, but inspiration, right? because they're about to be writing the inspired word of God. Yeah, this is one that we frequently apply to ourselves when in fact it's not Mm -hmm. for us. Um, And then he picks that up again. Uh, We'll see it in John Will we see it in John 16? No. 15. Um, 15. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness of me. So now we're starting to see that connection of, of the scripture, Christ, and the spirit. Right. Uh, and you will bear witness also because you have been with me from the beginning. So then he's also essentially doing the handoff to the future apostle saying, and that's what your job will be is to bear witness of me, and so it's very important to see how connected these are, uh, because this is the final teaching of our Lord yeah. prior to His death. And there are these two witnesses that Jesus says shall be in the future. The first is the Holy Spirit, and the second will be His disciples. Uh, and so, when you connect that back to what He said just a short time yeah. earlier, it was all said at the same time um, in John 14. You begin to see the idea of inspiration and yeah. even inscripturation. And that's why there, there is an equal authority with ap- apostolic teaching. Um, it, it's equal with Jesus' words. It is Jesus' yeah. words through the apostles. Yeah. yeah. And, what, and what I love about this, because this is a by the way, but we have these modern day apostles. Um, yeah. In verse 27, notice why, and you will bear witness also why, because you have been with me from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Well, modern day apostles weren't with Jesus since the beginning, but they were. And that's why they have this authority and the Spirit's going to work through And that someday we will do a podcast on the new apostolic reformation because it's one screwed up thing, but another day. Um, And then another one in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 6 and following. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom, which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood, for if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. Yeah, so here here Paul, he uses a common term, it's mystery, mm-hmm. um, and whenever he's doing that, he's speaking of this mystery that was to come with with the gospel, and it was formerly hidden, formerly not known, but now it's been made known, and what is that? Well, that God is now going to work among the Gentiles, right. and he's going to bring them in with, with the Jews, and so the salvation, of course, is coming through Jesus Christ, and it's bound up with his gospel, but um, so that then leads to the role of the Holy Spirit. Right. So, we've already been begun to make that transition. So, when we think then about pneumatology, the doctrine of the spirit and bibliology, um, I'll just quote from Carl Henry uh, in his book, God, Revelation, and Authority. He says, the Holy Spirit functions notably as a supernatural conveyor of divine knowledge. Uh, that's one of his key uh, roles is he is the one who conveys that information, and it's through that the inspiration um, that the apostles then write. Right, and so um, he functions first of all in the manner of that inscripturation. Uh, all that is is the process of actually writing the scriptures. Nothing secret, um, and it's all built upon the idea of inspiration because the Spirit inspires them. That when they wrote under the inspiration of Spirit, 
it was scripture yeah. itself. And then the second piece is he then functions through illumination, which is built on the inscripturation. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So you got inspiration goes to inscripturation, in which then goes to illumination. Right. Well, that should be like a little rhyme or something. Yeah. I need like a flow chart or something. Trying <laughs> out loud. Yeah. But, but the point to understand is, is illumination is not just this God zapping you with something out of nowhere. Yeah. Right. It's, it's God a, showed me something. It's like, yeah. probably no, not. You're, you're illumined to this revelation of God, but as it's been inscripturated. And so you need the word of God to be illuminated. Um, and so this takes place first at salvation. So um, John 16, eight through 11 is a good. Are you gonna do the John three one first? Oh, sure. Let's do John three. <laughs> is that, that's not scripture. That's a note. Oh, illumination. No, it's, I, I that's right. When I wrote out this, I, I chose not to quote the whole passage there because we'd been getting an argument about the meaning of John 3. Um, that, that would be a fun one for us to do one day. He and I have a slightly, slightly different understanding of exactly what is meant by being born of the water. And, and one is correct. Yes, and, and I am um, correct, but you don't agree with that. So we'll have a rousing debate and then let the listeners vote. Um, anyhow, but in the John 3, 3 through 8, it talks about where he says you must be born again to Nicodemus, um, that the, the spirit has to regenerate a person from spiritual death to life. And without that, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Uh, and, and the issue here is the seeing begins by seeing Jesus as king. It, it's not only an eschatological idea where if you're not born again, you'll never enter into the kingdom of God. It's literally, you will not see it. Um, and that is the idea that Jesus is the king of, uh, of all things. And therefore, through this regenerating work, he shows you Christ, which connects us back to the Christology. And then there is that John 16. Now you want to read it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that, <laughs> listeners. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, and concerning righteousness because I go to the Father, and you no longer behold me, and concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. Okay, so the Spirit comes, um, and at salvation, he does three things. He brings a conviction concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment, and... I don't have time to unpack all that, but they, they're very distinct roles that the Spirit does, and they're three distinct things that He does when He's bringing a person into salvation. Now, did you do a whole sermon on this verse? Yeah. yeah. Passage? You, okay. I yeah. couldn't remember if it was a part of it or the whole thing. Yeah, the whole so, you thing. can actually go to our church site and find Him dealing with that um, if you ever want to hear a fuller exposition of it. I thought it was The excellent. Spirit and Salvation is what it was called. Yeah. Okay. There you go. So, yeah. go, go to missiodayfellowship.org. And you can find that sermon. It's actually worth listening to. Um, so, along with that, so that's in the work of regeneration and salvation. Now, also through sanctification, the process of becoming Christ-like, becoming holy. Um, the Spirit is not going to sanctify a person somehow by magic. And I think a lot of people almost think that, that he's going to make me holy somehow, but we don't know how. It's always going to be through the Word of God. Uh, the Bible is spirit-given and spirit-inspired, and it is a tool that he uses to grow us into holiness. So, again, the spirit is tightly connected to the word because it's his word that he inspired them, and it is the word that's given 
by Christ, if you will. Um, so, you have even backwards because he was inspiring the writers of the Old Testament. So, in like Psalm 119, verses 33, 34, you can, uh, I skipped one, but we can go backwards. Actually, just do Psalm 119, verse 18, Lena. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. Now, do you pray that one? Yeah. Consistently. I, I do that almost every time before I do before my sermon prep. Oh, before well, I, I do. Um, yeah, it's it's a, a David just recognizing, I want to behold the wonderful things. The only way I'm going to be able to see them properly and rightly is if you open my eyes. Mm-hmm. And then and then the other one is Psalm 119, 33 and 34. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I shall observe it to the end. Give me understanding that I may observe your law and keep it with all my heart. And this is interesting because he says, teach me the way of your statutes and then give me understanding for the purposes that I may be able to observe it. Um, again, an excellent way that you can just pray um, that, that the Spirit would open your eyes and enable you then um, to do that which is pleasing to the Lord. Yeah. And then a New Testament one uh, in Ephesians 1, 17 through 18. That oh, I'm sorry. I, this is like one See, of my favorite passages. Well, do you want to take it? No, no. Well, I'll talk about it, but you go ahead and... I'm sorry for the interruption. (laughs) That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. Yes. No, go ahead. Do it. Um, so, boy, uh, okay, so he's, pray, he's praying here. What I'm is he praying? He's praying that the eyes of his heart may be enlightened. For what purpose? So that he may know what is the hope of his calling. So you can't know without first being enlightened or right. illuminated. That's right. another term for it. Um, also in Ephesians six seventeen, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So there it's explicitly stated that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. And again, you have that connection of the Spirit and His Word. Yeah. Uh, and it's all about doing the fight against... The, the only sk- offensive weapon yep. in the armor of God. And it's not even a big honking sword. It's a, it's a more of a dagger. It's a precision instrument. Um, so, let's just kind of bring it all together then. Um, Packer says this, and he's talking about 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, six through following that we've read. Um, He says, Now the Holy Spirit has been sent to the church as its teacher to make them wise unto salvation, to testify to them of Christ, and to glorify him thereby. To the apostles, he came to remind them of Christ's teaching, uh, which we just talked about, to show them its meaning. We add further revelation, and to add further revelation to it, and so to equip them to witness to all about their Lord. To other men, he comes to make them partakers of the apostolic faith through the apostolic word. Paul indicates a permanent relation between the Spirit, the Apostles' word, and the rest of the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. That's, uh, that's classic Packer. You know, he, he's able to concisely say so much. So, he, mm-hmm. he hits the whole idea that the Apostles were simply filling in and repeating the things of Christ plus enlarging upon it. And then we, reading the, the Word of God, we come and become partakers of that faith, which he calls the apostolic faith. Yeah. Uh, so, 
the point then to understand in in this episode in our point is that um, how you see the Bible and understand the Bible affects two massive areas in your life. Um, the first, of course, is how you can know and believe in Jesus Christ explicitly for salvation. And then the second is how you might grow and understand God's ways and will. So we're dealing with salvation and sanctification, right. in other words. Um, and so the weaker that you are um, in your bibliology, uh, the weaker all things in your life are going to be as a Christian. Yeah, and, and I would add, you can have a really strong bibliology that you profess, but your life will practice, reflect right. your yep. true bibliology. Is it really authoritative? And that's the thing that I think dismays us the most when we interact with people, um, how often they know the word, but they are working overtime at rationalizing away or thinking, well, this doesn't really apply to that. Um, either you're, I mean, I pray it almost every time I preach that we would now be a people who submit ourselves under his word, right. knowing that it is the very word of God. So, uh, I have no idea what that sentence means. Why what we taught matters in one... Oh. So, an example. Okay, so, let me give you an example in a little way uh, of what we just talked about. It applies to so many things that are popular around the world, and most definitely in the American church. And so, you'll hear it from people constantly. It's, God told me, and then you fill in the blank. I did a review on a book at the Gospel Coalition called God Told Me, dot, dot, dot. It Who to marry, what car to buy, yeah. what house to purchase. So Literally, to he's, he and said— it was an awful, awful book. Yeah, and I didn't know you had—I you had, forgot they had reviewed it, and then I read it, and I was ranting on my Goodreads review of it, and then you're like, I review I'm like, oh, that's right. It yeah. was a terrible, was terrible book. Yeah. Well, our friend Mark Driscoll, who has moved so, so far from where he was originally. Um, and again, I think I actually would argue that it's a good example of what we just said, that you can claim to have one kind of bibliology, but your life shows a different. And for him, you know, he, he argued certain things earlier in his ministry that now he's just throwing out the window. I don't know if people seen it, but there's a, a YouTube video of him at some a huge uh, conference, and he talked about the fact that an angel came to him, and he said that basically he's in a park, minding his own business, and a little girl who was handicapped uh, was looking at him and approached him, and there was a, sm a small little conversation that happened, and then she said that she had a word from God. And he's like, okay. And he, he's an excellent uh, communicator. So he cracked a joke and everyone's laughing. Uh, but basically he says, what is it? And she said, well, God loves you uh, very much. And he has great things planned for you. And there are many people praying for you. And then she gave him an unstated Bible passage. He never actually tells us what it was. Uh, and he said, the point of it is that in spiritual warfare, there needs to be sound Bible teaching. Like this was some deep thing. Everyone's clapping like, wow, this is a great, great statement. Um, but if you really listen to what supposedly this angel said, and he thinks she was an angel because he says then she just disappeared. And everyone's like, ooh. Um, but the first statement, that God loves you very much, is unneeded because the scripture already tells us <laughs> that he loves us very much. Uh, the second is classic. Uh, I was telling you before we actually began taping, 
how I would, I wish I would hear God, somebody say, God told me that he's going to deal with me in a very harsh way. Like in three days, he's going to take my life or strip me of all, all things that I hold dear or something like that. But you never hear. It's always God has great plans for you. Um, you know, instead of what he's told Jeremiah that, look, I want you to go and preach and these people will never listen right. to you. You know, what a miserable Life. job he had. Yeah. Um, and then the one thing that mattered was the supposed scripture given to him, but not told to us. Uh, and so in the end, this was a cute little story and people thought it was really powerful, but I was left with, so what? You, you didn't tell us anything. Uh, nothing was added to help us in any way, but it does serve to make Mark, not the Bible, the focal point. And sound Bible teaching should always pull the emphasis off of the preacher, and it should always be a faithful exposition of what does a text say, and, and hopefully because you're under the strong conviction that the text is spirit-inspired, and it should be filled with the person of Christ, because behind and through all of that is Christ himself. And that's our point in this little podcast. And. Go ahead. When we, we also talked about how when angels show up, they always show up as men. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that one annoyed me. We're going to get into angelology. But yeah, every time an angel appears, it's always not just a man, a powerful warrior-like. An imperial figure. Yeah. yeah. Or a handicapped girl, apparently. Well, who, who disappears. And doesn't. As if that brings weight to yeah. anything. So anyhow, like and share. Yes. No, comment and share. <laughs> comment and share. Rate and review. Like. Goodbye. See ya. See ya.